Hello and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Many fintech firms struggle to gain scale, funding, and brand recognition in an increasingly crowded banking ecosystem. Leveraging the power of digital technology and over a century's worth of brand expertise, Goldman Sachs introduces consumer banking platform Marcus in 2016. Through acquisition, partnerships with firms like Apple and Amazon, and significant organic growth, Marcus has grown into a multi-product platform with $80 billion in deposits across the US and UK, and $7 billion in consumer loans and credit card balances, as well as millions of customers in the US and the United Kingdom. All without the traditional brick and mortar branch model. We are joined today by Dustin Cohn, Head of Brand and Marketing over Consumer Investment Management for Goldman Sachs and the Marcus brand. On today's episode, Dustin discusses the building of a new digital banking brand within a legacy financial firm and the mission of creating a unique customer experience. Welcome to the show, Justin. It's truly a pleasure to have you on the show. The Marcus brand is no stranger to those who read my articles on the financial brand. In 2018, I wrote about Marcus with the headline, The Future of Fintech Plus Customer Experience in Banking. And earlier this year, I referenced Marcus again when I wrote the article, The Digital Bank That Should Keep Rivals Up at Night. Despite not having a financial services background, or, or maybe because of this, you've been instrumental in developing one of the most successful digital banks within the legacy financial service organization. What do you believe has been the recipe for success for Marcus brand to date? I think it would be a couple of things. But first, Jim, thank you for uh, having me on your show today. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and share our story with you. So I would say there are a couple of things at play. One is that we started with a blank sheet of paper. You know, we did not have legacy technology. We didn't have any legacy products, you know, really no legacy internal organization to, you know, really deal with and try to think with a, a very open mind and at the end of the day, leverage consumers to help us build it. So you build it with scratch without any of that legacy. And look, I'm a classically trained marketer, which basically means that you know I put the consumer at the center of everything. And so you know, doing the research and the homework up front to understand consumer pain points in financial services and in the banking industry and design a product and design an experience and design messaging with those pain points in mind where we can actually help overcome those pain points and really give uh, consumers the experience and the value in products that they deserve. So that's sort of the first piece of it. I also think um, a key ingredient is the mix of people. We have uh, had and have uh, about a third of our employees on Marcus by Goldman Sachs are from Goldman Sachs. So you have this incredible financial institution and uh, the experience and the caliber of people at the firm contributing to the build and the maintenance and the growth of the brand. Then you have about a third of our employees from consumer finance outside of Goldman Sachs. So you start to bring best practices across the industry, across different uh, organizations. And then about a third of us, like myself, come from outside financial services completely. So we're then bringing best practices from completely different industries and, quite frankly, industries that are known, I think, for being uh, able to build brands and build experiences and build products in a very consumer-centric way. So your career has included stints at Jockey, PepsiCo, Pizza Hut, FCB Global. 
many financial institutions in the past have tried to hire outsiders thinking that's the magic sauce, but don't give them the power to leverage that magic sauce. Or maybe because of this, a lot of these people have short stints because they get bored very quickly because they're not given the freedom. Do you believe this broad industry experience helped you when you set out to create Marcus and then to support its growth the past couple of years? Yeah, there's no question that it helped me because I didn't grow up in financial services. And so, you know, there really were no sort of preconceived notions in terms of, you know, what consumers really wanted or how to leverage an, an existing infrastructure. It, it was really through uh, the lenses of the consumer that I helped lead the build of the brand. And so I think that that was very liberating for me. But now, look, also, you don't want to swing the pendulum too far the other way. I think complementing it with, you know, experts who have grown up in financial services and experts at the firm, that really was the unique combination. So I think it's the blend. I don't think you can kind of, you know, go one way or the other. It's that unique blend. It's interesting. I interviewed the CEO of Lemonade a couple of weeks ago, and, and he said somewhat the same thing, that he goes, you know, he did not come in with insurance experience, but he said, I had to have insurance people around me. But he goes, the death of a distribution or a disruptive brand is legacy thinking. And, you know, while many other legacy financial institutions have tried to create digital first brands, but have run into challenges with legacy cultures, legacy processes, organizational structure, sometimes just the fact that you're building a digital bank, but you have 54 stories of of traditional banking bankers in the bank that are saying, well, we'll let them have some leeway, but they better not be successful because if they are, then we're going to have to shut them down. That's right. You know, my past in, in consumer packaged goods, I think, helped a lot because, you know, while product obviously is king and the efficacy behind product and the functionality behind product is ultimately what's most important – we also recognize how important the brand itself is, you know, the value that a brand brings uh, from an emotional connection standpoint. And I think that's a, another reason they wanted someone like me from outside financial services who really appreciated that because, you know, last thing we want to do is always have to compete on having the highest interest rate on a savings account or the lowest interest rate on a personal loan. And, you know, you, you just commoditize yourself. Of course, you want to be competitive. And we are. We, we offer very attractive and very competitive rates. At the same time, though, we are adding value in so many other ways through our, our content and our support and our customer service experience. All of those things really matter. And, you know, there is also pride in being a Goldman Sachs client or customer. And that's really, you know, why we landed on this brand architecture of Marcus by Goldman Sachs, sort of the best of both worlds. Marcus signals something new and different for consumers and creates relevancy and more of a digital approach. And at the same time, the by Goldman Sachs says, you know, this is an institution that's been around for 150 years and is stable and is, is you know, really a financial expert. So it was the best of both worlds. I think that really helped us create Marcus and grow the way we've been growing. I think also when you look at fintechs globally, you know, one of the challenges has been, number one, to get scale. And number two, to have brand relevance and trust where, you know, you could have one and the, the other, you may not have either one. Or at times like these, fintech firms may be looked, not, not the small, bigger ones, but the smaller ones could be looked upon and going, geez, is this safe to put my money? Well, you're right. You had that going for you, that you had the brand already in place. You actually went, I would say, down market a little bit for the market, the consumer brand, because really Goldman was not a, a traditional middle market consumer brand, but it became one very quickly. 
but you very quickly got scale through acquisitions. So since the beginning, there have been acquisitions and partnership to build out the overall platform. How do you select the right partners? You know, it first starts with understanding what the white space is in the market and where those pain points are and what partnerships can address those pain points. We really needed to start there. And, you know, the other aspect of this is how do you combine what people love about traditional banks, which, you know, is the stability that you just referenced, with the customer experience that people love about the fintechs. So that's another way we think about our partnerships is who can fit this unique model that we have where we straddle both worlds of being a traditional bank and also being a a fintech and an early stage business. So it's also a cultural thing as well. So from the standpoint of culture, do you separate the Goldman culture from the Marcus culture or are are they one of the same or how do you balance the two within one organization? I think they've dovetailed over time. I think the Marcus culture in the very beginning was pretty unique to the firm, just in terms of having marketers and engineers and consumer, uh, you know, marketing people. It was a little bit of a different, you know, animal, I think, for the firm. And what happened over time was phenomenal, where I think some of the things that Marcus was doing a little bit different got adopted by the firm. Even little things like dress code, you know, it's hard to attract and maintain a lot of engineers and marketers and you make them wear a suit and tie, right? I think we influenced, I'm not saying it was because of Marcus, but I'm sure we, we influenced, you know, the fact that people wear jeans at Goldman Sachs now and they didn't really do that five years ago. You know, at the same time, I think there are processes and, you know, capabilities that the firm had that really quickly started to get embraced and integrated into what Marcus was doing. So I I think, again, this was one of those things where the two cultures dovetailed very nicely together. And a big part of it is because of making sure that we had a a healthy complement of Goldman Sachs homegrown individuals as part of the team and part of the team to build and grow the business. So those Goldman employees that are now working for Marcus, when they introduce themselves do they introduce themselves as a Goldman employee or a Marcus employee? <laughs> and, I, and I say that only because what do most of the people think is cool? Yeah, I, you know what? That's, I've never really polled. I will say that I hear both. So I don't know at what scale those who say Goldman versus Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Now, I will say when we say Marcus, typically we will say our full name, Marcus by Goldman Sachs. So, you know, we're super proud uh, to be part of, of Goldman Sachs. But it's interesting because when you talk about New York City, there's a big fintech base and there's a big institutional investment base. And both the brands come with its own panache, but by no means the same. So it's uh, that was a question that just came off my head going, yeah, I wonder what the people do. You know, it's kind of cool. Really interesting. Now I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. So how do you make digital banking more human at Marcus? Because I know that's an important perspective that you guys have and something that you brought to the table, I think, very early in just the naming of the brand. That's right. It did start with our naming. And as we explored, you know, literally 10,000 different names, we ultimately landed on Marcus for a variety of reasons. You know, one is obviously the connection to Marcus Goldman, who founded Goldman Sachs 150 years ago. So it was great connectivity to our history and our heritage. But yes, you're, you're right. The name Marcus made us more friendly, accessible, human. It, it created this one-to-one personal conversation for consumers. So it did start there. But we also, you know, again, really did our homework in trying to understand if we were going to be a digital bank, you know, what were 
the needs of our consumers to be comfortable with that because we were not going to have you know, branches like many of our competitors. And the number one need we found early on through this research was consumers wanted a call center where we picked up the phone. And it was really interesting to us because so many people, while they want to self-serve in a digital experience, they just want that ability to talk to a human being when they want. So we opened up uh, our call centers here in the United States. When we launched our lending business, we actually launched without any IVRs, you know, the machines where you press three to get to this person, four to get this person, and then ultimately get put on hold. And then you've got to sort of repeat everything again when somebody comes on the line. We actually did not um, have an IVR. And so, you know, the phone rings and we pick up Hello Goldman Sachs. And, you know, it's kind of funny. We were doing some call listening sessions and we came across this one consumer who, when we answered the phone, Hello Goldman Sachs, this woman started laughing and we were trying to figure out, you know, if she was okay. So the the call center agent said, "Is you know, is everything all right?" And she said, "Well, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm in the bathroom, <laughs> and I thought that you know I was going to be put on hold forever, and you know, press a bunch of numbers, and you know, if you don't mind, I'll call you back. I just didn't expect you to answer that fast." <laughs> you give yourself a good forty five minutes if you can go grocery shopping and get that all done before you get back. You know, now I find that. More and more institutions keep that doggone message on that says, by the way, your call wait volume may be extended because of COVID. And you're going, I'm sorry, but it's been three months now. Yeah. (laughs) We're not all calling about the same things we were calling about three months ago. Either get rid of that or admit that you just aren't going to be scaled up to what you have to be. It's like the airlines. You know, that better not be the thing you should come up to me with online because I know you're not that busy. But you know, the foundation of Marcus brand included the personal loan product with no application fees, no late fees, no origination fees, and no penalties if you pay down early. And an online savings account that had a, and still has, a higher than market average rate. How have these products fared and what's been the impact of the COVID-19 crisis on growth? You know, from a savings perspective, growth has really accelerated during this crisis. And you know, I think as the market is extremely volatile, people are looking for things that are a bit more stable, something that's FDIC insured. In fact, we saw a nice growth also in our no penalty CD product. You know, that is a, a product 13 month time frame where, you know, you can actually take your money out early and not have any sort of fee or penalty whatsoever. And you keep the interest that you've earned up into that point. So great way to lock in a rate and then also have the flexibility of withdrawing your funds if you need to. So savings in general has grown quite quickly. Lending, you know, the business has been stable. You know, I think we do a good job uh, in terms of risk management. And so I think our portfolio is performing as we expected. You know, and you talked about the no fees. And I guess I would say that that's another example of, I think, developing a product with consumers at the center of of everything. And, you know, you would expect people to say, I want a product, a loan product without fees. But for us to truly claim no fees ever, and you hit, you know, every way our competitors hit you with a fee, we could not even charge you a late fee. So, you know, it was important for us to be able to say no fees, there are no gotchas, there's no asterisks. So, you know, as you think about an experience that, yes, it's digital, but human in nature, you know, that seems pretty obvious, right? Humans don't want to be surprised by fees, and they certainly don't like being feed, as we say. So, you know, that's another, I think, important aspect that, that differentiates us is really understanding those pain points. And that's another thing that makes us human. 
boy, the alignment between your your company and some of the other truly transformative financial institutions, clarity, lack of any gotchas, full transparency. Now that comes with clarity because the reality is if you're doing everything the right way, then transparency becomes almost a given because you're going, this is just the way we're built. But overall, your profitability doesn't suffer because you get the right type of customers who say, you know what, this is the way I want to do business. While you have been targeting the mass affluent customer pretty much, your marketing, to your point that you just made, is still about real-life challenges. The advertising you've done, you have a bit of humor, you have a very approachable style, which is had been, pre-COVID, somewhat unusual for a bank. In fact, many banks would try to make it almost like they're really special and that's why you should bank with them. But is this tone of being more human maybe even more important now during COVID world where people are just really just plain worn out and they want partners that are going to look out for them? Yeah, I think tone is tricky in this environment because to your point, we have a wink and a smile uh, in our marketing, in our advertising, in our messaging. And, you know, we, we don't take ourselves too seriously. And I think that has served us very well because pre-COVID and I'm sure post-COVID, you know, people have some insecurities about their personal finances. They just lack confidence sometimes in terms of knowing what the right thing to do is and understanding what their options are. And, you know, back to your, your point about transparency too, this whole no fee claim actually created some some major questions from customers and prospects. They were waiting for that gotcha. You know, where, where's the fine print? And we actually took that feedback and front and center spelled out how we make money because that's really what we were being questioned. Well, if you don't charge fees, how do you make money? Well, it's from interest and here's how the interest is calculated and you can actually compare, you know, our interest rate to interest rates that you have. And so, you know, that transparency actually is not only, I think, an anti, it's also something that is a marketing device because if you're really transparent with consumers, then you earn their trust. So throughout COVID, though, and by the way, that, that sense of humor, uh, no fees, you know, we had a whole campaign, don't get feed. <laughs> and so, you know, we had some fun with it. But when, when you get into an environment like this, obviously, we need to be, you know, ultra sensitive to how people are feeling and the stresses we're all having. And so, you know, it's hard to be funny in this environment. And so, you know, right now, we've definitely been very respectful of, of, of the environment and how consumers are feeling. Well, sincerity is part of that, though. You know, it's interesting. You know, a lot of your publicity has come because of the partnerships you've made and the services you've offered. Offering a loan, unlike any other personal loan, gets you decent press. Offering a, a rate of interest that's higher than most rates of interest, until recently you've, you've actually dropped it down quite a bit, gets you notoriety. But above that, you've made obviously some very publicized partnerships, one of which is Apple for the introduction of the Apple card. What was the underlying strategy for the expansion of your business into the Apple card business? And how's that introduction gone? Yeah, we realize that when we create a platform that it's scalable, you build a chassis. And banking as a service is a strategy of ours. So the Apple card is a great example of building that chassis and having banking as a service. And you know, we've been, you know, extremely happy with that partnership. You know, we recently announced uh, an Amazon partnership where we're now offering small business loans 
to uh, to Amazon vendors and partners. So, you know, we'll continue to expand upon this banking as a service while also, you know, really being focused on growing our own branded products as well. Your partnership with these household brands brings its own level of notoriety, but it's strategic partnerships that say we don't have to build everything within. You're still an organization that doesn't have a traditional checking account and is, I think, just introduced a true mobile app. Is there a reason for the building almost the foundational products before you got to the what many people call the product of choice or the uh, really your customers don't see it that way? No, no, they don't. Now, look, we announced at Investor Day uh, in January that we'll be launching our uh, our checking business in uh, 2021. So we're excited about that. That has been a big request from our, our, our consumers. So we're really excited about that. And we want to go about it the same way, which is you know, when we launch something, we want it to be differentiated. We want it to solve pain points. We want it to create real value for our consumers. So, you know, part of, you know, why uh, we sequence things the way we do is because if we're going to do something, we're going to do it really well. And that takes a little bit of time. And I think people forget we've only been around for three years. That's it. And, you know, we've grown pretty substantially in that three years, but we try to do it in a very thoughtful, methodical way. So we deliver and over-deliver on that experience and the value behind the product. Well, that Investor Day was kind of funny. I'm not going to get in your corner here, but uh, I think the day your Investor Day presentation came out, I posted, I think, on Twitter that said, I don't expect Marcus to wait till 2021 to introduce a checking account. Which bank do you think they'll take over? And then this year, uh, more recently, there's been rumors in the marketplace around the possibility of mergers. Is that kind of strategy a possibility only given everything else you've done? To me, it seems logical that that would be at least on the table. Yeah, look, we, we can't rule anything out. And there has been a philosophy, as you mentioned, where there are things – if we think we could build it better, we'll build it ourselves. If we think, you know, somebody else is doing it better, we would obviously contemplate buying it. Um, and, you know, in many cases, there's a bit of a, a hybrid as well. The technology uh, legacy point that I made earlier is a good example where, you know, that strategy is really around borrowing, buying, and building. And it's a mix depending on what the needs are and, you know, whether we think we could do it better than the next guy. It's interesting because I look at when you said, you know, somebody can do it better or something like this. And I look at the partnerships you've built from the very beginning of Marcus. And I go, you know, pretty much a class thing. It's not easy to find a traditional bank that can meet those same criteria. And that's not to put down a traditional bank, but you, it comes with its own anchors, so to speak. And, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, one of the most interesting behind-the-scenes differentiations between Marcus and other digital banking endeavors by legacy financial institutions has been your overwhelming commitment to R&D and technology. At the end of the day, your research and your R&D and technology is what makes everything run, doesn't it? You know, it certainly does. And, you know, it gets back to solving those pain points. A nice little example, when uh, we launched our personal loan product, you know, what we found was through our research that consumers really didn't think about taking out a personal loan in terms of how much do I want to take out and how long do I want to pay it back? They didn't think about it that way. They said, okay, here's how much I want to take out, but what can I really afford to pay every month? You know, what am I comfortable paying every month? And, you know, because it's our own balance sheet, 
based on what you're comfortable paying every month and the amount you want to take out, I can give you a loan for 33 months, for 47 months, for you know whatever, whatever the tenor is, I can make that work for the most part and give you options that meet your monthly need versus you know other banks that have sort of the off the shelf, is it a three-year loan or a five-year loan or whatnot? So you know, it's things like that that technology has allowed us to solve for. So again, it's back to being more human, even though we're digital or more personal, even though we're digital. But yes, it, it, it comes back to technology and engineering to provide that personalized experience. And being a tech company that uses data so prevalently, both on the parent company as well as Marcus, that really makes the Amazon partnership kind of interesting because very much like PayPal does already, where if you can have all the data on the way the business does their business, what kind of sales they have, all that, you can go a little bit in more risky areas because you understand their business entirely as opposed to simply a, a simple balance sheet or a, a, a credit bureau report, which doesn't really tell how a person does business. That's the way you look at the personal business as well, isn't it? That is. And, you know, you mentioned Clarity Money. I think that's a good example of, of technology and, and helping consumers connect the dots, you know, where you link all your accounts. And regardless of whether you pay your bill, some of your bills on your credit card, some of your bills out of your checking account, some of your bills out of your savings account, wherever you're, we're able to connect those dots and say, here's how you're spending your money. And we can help people think through better ways of saving and and budgeting. So, you know, that's another good use of, uh, or a good example of technology where we're trying to just simplify your personal finances and give you options and allow you to make good choices because we've helped you connect those dots that you may not uh, necessarily see easily without that sort of support. So I mentioned the R&D and, and technology background being a, kind of a differentiator compared to many other financial institutions. What other behind the scene differentiation, you know, you've been there since the beginning, do you see that Marcus has versus traditional or even other fintech firms? Yeah, I don't know if it's one thing. I think it really is that combination of things. You know, having no penalty fees, having a, a savings account where you know we offer interest rates. You can earn more interest with Marcus in one month than you can with the the largest banks in one year. You know, I, so I think you start with the value of our products. Then you get into the personalization and the customization. And I mentioned how our personal loans work. You know, I mentioned that we have a no penalty CD. So again, back to the product. And then the customer service, you know, having that seven day a week, extended hours, humans pick up the phone, it's based in the US. I think that's, you know, a a real competitive advantage. Um, I think, you know, as we expand on our app functionality, I think that will be uh, another, you know, really valuable tool for consumers moving forward. And today we also have a a very robust content hub with insights and resources to just help simplify consumer finance and again, you know, explore options. And that transparency piece is another, you know, important part of what we do day in and day out. You know, there if you go to our content hub and you can read about uh, home improvement loans, we'll actually tell you if you're in this situation, a personal loan from us may not be your best option. A HELOC may be a better option. Or, you know, if this is your situation, perhaps it is a better uh, idea to spend it on your credit card. So, you know, we are product agnostic and want to really explain to people what their options and their choices are so they can make informed decisions. And I think that's another real point of difference for us is 
providing that education and that information so people really can compare different approaches and different options. So I can't really necessarily point to one thing. I think it's the combination of all of those things. And, you know, at the end of the day, our brand's essence is being on the side of the consumer. And we really believe that every single day. And that's how we prioritize what to do and what not to do. You know, it's interesting because I, there's not a financial institution out there that doesn't say they put customer experience at the number one item that they want to meet. But at the end of the day, the products or the services or the way they handle it don't necessarily meet that. When you look across all industries, you're a product and a brand guy. You've worked with some of the best brands in the world. What brand right now do you hold up and say, you know what, they're kind of getting it from the perspective of the way Marcus looks at brand, where they look at the consumer first and positions it. What do you look at and you go, they're doing it the right way? You know, I'm a fan of Warby Parker. I think they do a really nice omni-channel experience. And I think their products are high quality. I think the, the value and the price point is spot on. I think the connectivity between the in-person retail experience and the online digital experience is practically seamless. You know, I love the at-home experience of being able to try on five different pairs of glasses and you send back the ones that you don't like. I think they've created a real sense of community on top of all that. They do incredible charitable work in terms of donating glasses to uh, to those who can't afford glasses. So I think you know, they are a brand that I really respect and admire for all those reasons. And I think some of that same culture and philosophy and consumer centricity you would find in Marcus. Finally, with the pandemic still being a real thing, especially, I believe you're in the New York area, so especially in the New York area and, and throughout the country, and with households moving more and more to digital brands, how does the position of Marcus brand benefit? And Will the positioning change at all, given what is probably going to be a forever reality? You know, I think one of the headwinds, and not a major one, but one of the headwinds we, we faced in the past is that while people hate going to their, their branch, <laughs> they find comfort in knowing I can physically go in and, and, <laughs> and grab a human being if you've got a problem. And, you know, I think this COVID crisis has forced many people to turn to digital because that was really their only option. And I think what we're finding is customers are saying, geez, you know, this is easy. This is convenient. I can bank from my couch and from my phone. And oh, by the way, you know, these big traditional banks, I must be paying some way for it, right? I'm getting 0.03% with my current traditional bank that has brick and mortar, but I can get, you know, a lot more with a a digital offering like Marcus by Goldman Sachs. So people are starting to recognize that um, they really don't need to physically go, you know, into a branch to do what they need to do and can get so much more value because then, you know, we really pass the savings on to our customers. So I, I think that is a shift, not just in banking, but I think in, in other industries where people have relied on uh, physical presence. I think people are starting to realize that in many cases, you just don't need that. And actually the customer wins with better customer experience and more value in their products. Thank you very much for being on the show. Well, Jim, thanks for the opportunity. I, I really appreciated hearing your perspective as well. And thank you to your listeners. What a great interview with Dustin Cohn from Marcus. Obviously a strong brand mind behind Marcus by Goldman Sachs. It's very interesting because if you're a regular listener of this podcast, 
should go back and listen again to the Lemonade interview I did with Daniel Schreiber, CEO of Lemonade, and their way of looking at simplicity, transparency, and doing what's right for the consumer. You know, it's really interesting the way they've done that because I think you have to look and say, this is the future of financial services. Take steps out of the process, be transparent, get rid of the hidden stuff that drives people nuts, and deliver just a great product. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, rated as a top five banking podcast. I genuinely appreciate the support you have provided since we started this endeavor. If you enjoy what we are doing, please subscribe to the Banking Transform podcast on your favorite podcast app. In addition, please take 30 to 45 seconds to show some love in the form of a review. It really means the world to me. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research we are doing on digital transformation, the future of work and banking, retail banking innovation, and the changing dynamics of financial marketing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Lombrake, and audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. Until next time, I'm your host, Jim Maroos. Stay safe and stay healthy. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.